Welcome to Shortcut to Sunday. I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. And this is your podcast for August 9th, 2020, proper 19. Uh, and we are coming to you not live on behalf of Holy Family uh, Episcopal Church in Fishers, Indiana. Bruce, how are you this morning? I'm doing okay. I'm <laughs> properly, whatever, whatever we're calling it, socially distanced <laughs> from you by, what, four or five miles? <laughs> It, it seems to be the new CDC recommendation. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so that is about how far apart we are. I think. Yeah, that is that is about true. That is true. Yeah. I actually have a I have a question right off the top here. Uh, just out of curiosity, I don't know if I've asked this. Uh, you're using the lectionary uh, website uh, that I'm same one that I'm using, or at least you generally do, as far as uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, yeah, Vanderbilt. The Vanderbilt when we're when we're uh, on our own PCs and recording separately, at least. Um, right. Why is it proper fourteen, and then there's a parenthesis nineteen? What's I, the? I've actually wondered that, but I haven't taken the time to investigate it. Um, <laughs> worthless. <laughs> <laughs> it. Well, I I could fake it for a few minutes, but I just won't fake take it, the time to do it. that. No. Well, I was kind of curious because I, I know that the so so one thing that we can that we can both agree on is that we know that the propers adjust because of uh, the length of the season adjust year to year where wherever Easter falls, which is why we start the season after Pentecost in, in proper six and not proper one. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't really explain why there's a five number optional, you know, parenthetical digit there, and I'm. Uh, What's your guess, if you had to guess? My guess is it has something to do with the old lectionary structure to orient oh. people who were using the old lectionary structure. Now, you know what? That would make some sense because uh, that, that would there, there's still plenty of uh, uh, people who remember the old structure, even, even oh, yeah. I think, priests who, who might have even uh, um, uh, still served under the old structure. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite what I was necessarily going for, but yeah, I guess that would. I, I wasn't fishing for it. Sorry. And I and it and it may be. I know what the way I organize my sermons and files and computer files is by the proper. So that could be helpful to someone um, oh. in their filing system to look up what they've said in the past. But so, so these I, are for those two dozen priests who still yes. have everything. In it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. What proper did that used to be? Okay, yeah, all right. Pull from yeah. my file. <laughs> well, and if it's in that file, no one at my current church has heard it. So <laughs> there you go. That's true. That's a good point. So, uh, so uh, that okay. That that, that I, I like that explanation. Let's just go with that. And it, uh, yeah, I was going to say, and it could be totally wrong. <laughs> you're welcome, Vanderbilt. We've explained it for you. Uh, yes. <laughs> regardless of what your intent was, we've, this is we've... some kind of terrible version of mansplaining. I fear. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. But God-splaining or lectionary-splaining God, God or something. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, well, while we're explaining things, let's uh, let's let's see if I can stump you on the word of the day today. All and right. We get to come back to the beginning part of the alphabet with an A word. And this word um, may uh, you may have initial different thoughts as to what it might actually be, uh, but the word is Arianism. Oh, well, it's a heresy, of course. 
um, just about <clears throat> anything in the Episcopal dictionary that ends with an ism is a. I, I will I will throw out that uh, as far as the website goes, it doesn't expressly uh, identify it as a heresy. Oh, really? It doesn't. Uh, it has an interesting history, though. So maybe it's because it's special that it doesn't get heresy. <laughs> it's so special. Um, Hey, now I'm doubting myself. No, doubt not. Well, I'm thinking it, it, it was one of the viewpoints of Jesus that didn't fully embrace Jesus' eternal divinity. Yes, 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 okay. yes, yes. Okay, so that's a heresy. <laughs> I'm comfortable with it saying, yeah, that's a heresy. <laughs> yes, uh, so... Uh, Arianism is the teaching that the Son of God was a creature of like substance, though not identical with God, and it's named for Arius, a 4th century presbyter of Alexandria, uh, who made it a highly influential, uh, and then they put in parentheses just to kind of knock it a little bit, if not especially original, uh, <laughs> contribution, <laughs> right? I, I love the snarkiness in there. You yeah. can like, <clears throat> but uh, uh, he made a, a, a contribution to the discussion of the proper way to express the relationship between God and the Son within the divine life. Um, and he was primarily uh, not interested in the relationship between the divinity and the humanity of Jesus. He was more concerned with um, um, trying to preserve the unity, what do they say here? Unity, soul, eternity, and self-existence of God. So it was more to... He was kind of more creating and couching an argument to kind of protect his his idea of who who God is. Yeah. Um, uh, and and the epitome of his position is, and here's a quote: "There was when the sun was not." So yeah, kind of, and that's the part that I thought we we're supposed to say not unto. Right. So here's where it plays out historically. <clears throat> um, Arius's. Uh, opponent in this argument was uh, Athanasius, who right. saw that the word uh, that if the word were not fully God, then God's act in Christ was not fully a divine act, uh, and then henceforth ultimately ineffectual. Uh, at it, this discussion was decided at the Council of Nicaea in three twenty five, and uh, the uh, Athanasius's position. Uh, prevailed where right. we created the declaration that the son was of one being with the father yep. uh, and the full divinity of the son was upheld. Uh, and so essentially it was not so much a, a heresy. If I'm reading between the lines uh, correctly, it wasn't so much that it was a heresy uh, because it wasn't a, 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 it wasn't fully taught as though, you know, this is right. He was more, uh, create he more created a discussion and kind of some papers on uh, uh, his viewpoint and his his thoughts and then it was decided at the Council of Nicaea and then that was kind of the end of it for his argument is kind of the reading between the lines that I that that I'm assuming because all the other isms as you pointed out they're very quick on the uh, discussion up top to say. A heretical teaching right from so and so so maybe it's the differences because Arius was not teaching it it was more 
you know, he prayed on it and, you know, this was, this was his idea. And ultimately everybody got together, heard both arguments and said, no, we're going to go with this. And Arius didn't push it any further. Yeah. But I, uh, you know, it's early in the morning, so I shouldn't be using my memory too much, but I, I, if, if memory serves correctly, there was after the Council of Nicaea, and actually a little bit before, controversy of, of regarding bishops who were teaching it. Right. Uh, that might and, have been coming from a very more specific, because there's another, it, and they don't mention it here in this definition, but there's another um, heretical teaching that is, that is similar, which is the reason why the definition says it's not especially an it's not an especially original contribution. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> so he played more of a minor minor role in it, um, uh, uh, as far as the way that uh, this played glossary out, yeah. website defines it. Uh, they more identify him as a minor role um, where he attempted to contribute to that viewpoint, but eventually was ineffectual and 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 uh, did not well, win out. <clears throat> literally lost the vote. At yeah, Nicaea. literally lost yeah. the vote. Yeah. At the Council of Nicaea. But it was it was one of those words that as I was going through the glossary and I saw Arianism, uh, my mind was like, why is Arian why is that in in uh, in the dictionary? Because no. <laughs> I'm I'm more thinking you know, Third Reich Arianism, yeah. and like, wait, what? Why? <laughs> totally different definition than what I was anticipating. Words get reused repeatedly in human existence. <laughs> yeah, poor Arius, right? Like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was going to say, first a semi-heretic and then a Nazi? Yeah. Right, yeah. I I had no, I, am, I was not opining of such things. Right, that's on me! <laughs> Uh, uh, but, but there, anyways, there's an old, there's an old, only semi joke that most Christians' favorite um, heresy is Arianism, where we really don't take seriously Jesus as part of God and God as always being part of Jesus. That we tend to separate them pretty strongly. Yeah, it, it is. It is one of those. Um, it is one of those viewpoints that while we say it every week, right? It's part of in the Nicene Creed. It's yeah. part of the Nicene Creed. Um, there's I think admittedly a lot of a, a lot of times a lot of us do still mentally separate the two. Mm -hmm. Um and part of that comes down to I think um the different writing styles and viewpoints of the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that's kind yeah. of what makes it's always been a little difficult to kind of tie the two together. And say this is the same, you know, the same God that we're talking about in these older passages, and yeah, who we're talking and, about in the newer passages. But and some have said, and I think this is true, that it's <clears throat> our finite brains trying to comprehend the infinite get overwhelmed, and so we, unfortunately, rather than stepping back and saying, "Okay, this is just beyond us how it works," we dumb it down for ourselves, right? Right, because okay, we still so, want to well, explain I, it for ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I remember as a kid, and I, this may turn up in a sermon or something, because I've been pondering this for a few days now, um, but I remember as a kid walking up to my mom, when I was probably kindergarten or something, and saying, Mom, I have figured it out. And she looked at me and said, what? You know, knowing who I was, that 
might as well just get it over with what. <laughs> and I said, Mother Nature and God got married and Jesus is their baby. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, you know, I had all the causality worked out. <laughs> right, 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 right. <clears throat> you keep referring to him as the son. He's got to yep. have it, you know. <laughs> And we know that he he didn't God uh, wasn't uh, didn't marry Mary, so therefore, yeah, there's got to be. Well, a I think somewhere. it had more to do with American advertising and cartoons than oh. <laughs> Sunday school. Gotcha. But yeah, I mean, it, we, we've always kind of uh, kind of struggled with that. Uh, yeah. there, there's there's a there's a um, there's a shift in tone. I think that's a, a, admittable. Um, although the, the ties to old Testament, one, that's been one of the, uh, uh, fascinating things for me to go through this process with you on this podcast is, is there's a lot more ties to the old Testament and, and, uh, messaging, uh, that I think on first glance or fourth or fifth glance, depending on how many times you've been around the Bible, um, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't necessarily pick up on. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, one can, I think one can easily understand why, you know, the father and the son are uh, mentally wholly separate, uh, in, in a lot of our brains. Cause it's, it's, it, it, it takes, it takes a lot of study and understanding to, uh, um, see that, uh, in, in the light that it's intended to be cast. And that's, 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 that's hard. That's, that's, yeah. that's a task. It takes time. Um, well, and a big thing that we often forget is how how much time passes between the writing down of the various pieces of the Bible. Oh, yeah. And so if we were to, I always like to think of is if we were as Christians to first sit down and read the book of Isaiah and then next start with the Gospels, then we'd think, oh yeah, that's all one piece. Right. Whereas if we start with Genesis, it's like, what? This is right. weird. <laughs> this is not not the same at all. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, and actually that's what Jesus and most Jews at the time of Jesus's life on earth um, were doing. Was Isaiah was the favorite um, passage or favorite book of the Bible. And that's that and the book of Psalms were the... Um, two books that your everyday Jewish faithful person knew the best. That's what mm. they went back to again and again. Those two. Very interesting. Yeah. Well, let's get. Well, go ahead. You were going to say something. Say one other thing. No, I realize I sh we should just move on. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say. Uh, uh, speaking of comparing Genesis, let's, yes, uh, that's one of the optional readings for for today. So let's not read that one. Uh, let's read. <laughs> we're going to do First Kings instead. Yeah. Uh, First Better Kings, special effects. Yeah, exactly, right? Uh, First Kings chapter 19, verse 9 through 18. At that place, he came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so that so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, 
and after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Then there came a voice to him that said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. Then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Also you shall anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel. And you shall anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat and, oh man, Abel, oh, Abel Meholah? Say it boldly, yeah. Abel Meholah, that's, I knew it all along, as prophet in your place. Whoever escapes from the sword of Hazael, Jehu shall kill. And whoever escapes from the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So, um, kind of two things are going on. One is this, as you had mentioned before, uh, this grand special effect uh, of, of Elijah coming to the mountaintop uh, to speak with God and, you know, uh, uh, fire Complain. and earthquake. <laughs> and, yeah, well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, he's, he's asking for help. Uh, but... The second part is a little bit more like political intrigue. Yes. <laughs> so, so walk us through this because uh, I know that sermons have definitely been done on the uh, God not being in the earthquake or the fire, but in the sheer silence, uh, and and that's a um, a neat metaphorical um, um, you know topic and kind of a mm-hmm. discussion of. of in the stillness, that's where uh, uh, where you can find God. Um, but and, uh, and just in case anyone's brains are going, wait, 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 at this moment, um, some translations will use a phrase such as a "still small voice" or something mm. along those lines. the The actual Hebrew phrase we don't know how to translate it. Oh, the the translation for sheer silence. Yeah, that, okay. that's 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 relatively literal. And but the his, traditionally in English it has sometimes been rendered as the as a still small voice or a gentle breeze, all sorts of things like that. It's it's a, a Hebrew phrase that you that something's there, but it's not loud. Mm-hmm. So okay. it, again, I it, I shouldn't try to translate because no one can. Gotcha, but but, but but some people may have memor very likely have memorized this verse just by turning to it frequently. I want to make sure they they don't feel they've been reading something inaccurate. I gotcha. I gotcha. That is, that is a legitimate option of a still small voice. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. And 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 yeah, the point is is kind of interesting. Uh, uh, it's interesting that the author took the time to identify that. Um. um and it's worded in such a way that it delivers importance to the fact that it is not the grand, um, um, spectacular uh, um, entry. Right. It's it's uh, although I, I guess it doesn't expressly say that those aren't heralds as well. <laughs> well, in other <laughs> to part- make sure you're paying attention. 
Yeah. By this point in the the writings of the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, those have been marked as signs of God's presence. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. They have right the yeah. pillar of fire and the. Um, so it's it's not like those aren't signs of God being there, but it's not the ultimate. N none of those are the ultimate sign. Right. And certainly this uh, passage promotes the the silence as the ultimate experience of God. Because yeah. then the conversation starts after that. Right, right. <clears throat> then, then, then the conversation. So, so it's kind of, um, um, yeah, the, the conversation definitely comes from the place of quiet. Yeah. Um, which uh, I, I think I've heard a sermon something talk, uh, kind of comparing uh, all that to like the, the internal uh, torment, uh, torment of our daily lives, right? The, the, yeah. The, um, and when we come to um, come to God in prayer, oftentimes we're very distracted by the earthquake and the fire in our life, uh, and not until we become silent and listen are we able to then hear the voice of God and and have a have a good conversation. Right. Uh, so. Um, what about the second half of this, though? Because he he says um, uh, that uh, you know he repeats basically his statement, and um, uh, then you know God gives him like, "Hey, uh, put this person here, put that person here, uh, anoint that person, and then if something were to happen, that person will kill this person, and this person will kill that person, and that you know." That sounds like uh, um, godly ordained kingship, uh, which we're not used to in modern times, but definitely occurs here in uh, a lot of the books of the Old Testament as far as, like, you know, godly ordained, right? I mean, but... Well, if we were sitting across from each other, as in years past, you'd be seeing me have a wry smile on my face. <laughs> Because, in, in fact, modern politicians may not call themselves a king, but often try to at least imply, if not explicitly say, they are ordained by God for their office, whether it's a democratic office or an autocrat. That's, that's, a, that's a good point. I mean, I, I know uh, we have a couple of, of, of uh, current leaders in, in countries that claim to be uh, godlike <laughs> and... Uh, uh, perhaps God ordained, um, right? Um, but and, uh, but it's a to be clear, it's a terrible way for government to run of someone being of people believing someone when they say God put me here. I mean, right. That's not something we as Episcopalians believe happens. But that said, what this passage is doing to get back to your leg very legitimate question is expanding the authority of God in a way that we've talked about in, in other passages that come from more recent Hebrew scripture writings. It's yeah. expanding God's authority over neighboring lands because he's talking about kings not of Israel, but of Syria. Oh, okay. And so that would have been a real jaw-dropper to Elijah. Of, wait, wait, that, that's not my turf. Gotcha. Um, so Hazael, uh, uh, king over Aram, uh, is 
outside of it. He just still does. God still does say Jehu should be king over Israel. Right. But it's expand so that it's clear God's not abandoning Israel, but mm-hmm. God's also saying, "Hey, this is the whole world's my territory." I'm symbolizing that by um, sending you to a nation much more powerful than Israel to anoint their king. Gotcha. Um, what about verse seventeen? Because if you read it, if you read it. It seems as though God is basically saying everybody's going to die. <laughs> well, whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, meaning, you know, Hazael kills some and whoever escapes, Jehu is going to kill. And anybody who escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha shall kill. Um, and I wasn't, I'm not, wasn't entirely sure, uh, aware that the position of prophet ended up killing people. Um, Right, and one of the things to keep in mind, two, a number of things. One, First Kings was written well after these events would have taken place, so it's mm. completely taking um, a pastime and putting symbolic meaning on it. Gotcha. We're looking through the lens of the past as it's as this is being written. Yeah. Okay. And people basically didn't care. <laughs> about these little details um, because they were so far in the past by the time 1 Kings was written. But what this is talking about and, oh, and the other thing I forgot is Elijah is very much exaggerating his complaints. He's not the only one left. There are other we know that at that time there were lots, not lots, that's we don't know that for sure, but there were certainly other faithful prophets to God. Mm -hmm. There were Lots and lots of everyday people who were faithful to God. And so Elijah's exaggerating, and God in response is exaggerating. Hmm. It, it's a whole almost, um, yeah, I'm, I'll say this. It's almost a comedy routine. Of hmm. okay. Elijah gets hit with one pie in the face. God gets hit with two pies. They go back and forth getting crazier and crazier in their exaggerations and it makes people pay attention. So what this is about is through exaggeration, God pointing out how dangerous it is to a person in a society to have false gods. Got it. That makes some sense. Also, is this the, in verse 16, um, God's telling him to anoint a replacement. Uh, right. Was that, it was Elisha's or Elijah's intention was like, Hey, I'm done. That's why I'm here on the mountain. So everybody wants to kill me. I'm out. <laughs> um, or is it like, is this, is this a kind of like a, 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 a knee to the gut of Elijah, uh, of God saying like, and Hey, you know what? Guess you don't have to worry about it anymore. I'll, I'll give, give this job to somebody else. I think uh, it's both. Okay. That yeah. Elijah comes in with his exaggerated complaints, and God says, okay, I'll take you at your word. You're done. (laughs) um, You're you're off the hook. And um, and unfortunately, what that usually means is, and so therefore you're dying soon. (laughs) Right, right, because that's essentially his concern, right? Like, 
I'm left. I'm the only one left. They're trying to kill me. And, and this is almost like God going, Oh, well then I better, I better find your replacement. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> since, since you're going to die. Uh, yeah, we can't have that, uh, position left unfilled. So, uh, well, the other before thing you die, <laughs> train up Elisha. Yeah. Try, yeah. Train up Elisha. And then, then, then we'll be good. We'll call you back to the home office. Mm -hmm. Um, and a couple things here that are going on is that this very much, the, the events throughout this passage, very much, particularly the beginning part, echo the story of Moses, where Moses had a similar experience with God, being in a cleft of a rock. And mm -hmm. um, one of the poetic interpretations of this is that it's actually at the same location. That, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah. And it's, it's possible. Um, and Moses was um, given Joshua as his successor and trained up. And then Joshua led the people into the promised land. Now Elijah has Elijah. The difference in the whole thing is that we may remember that Elijah doesn't actually die, but instead is taken up into heaven in the famous chariot of fire. Mm-hmm. Right. So yeah, we, in that we, way, God, in a sense, um, continues to shift into, uh, into a deeper and deeper revelation as to how God operates. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, um, let's, let's move on. Since yeah, you mentioned we spent a Moses. lot of time there. Right. And, and we definitely could, because I, I have more, but um, otherwise it'll just be the podcast about this first reading. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, since you mentioned Moses, let's move on to Romans uh, chapter 10, verse 5 through 15. And why do I say that? Because Paul starts it off this way. Moses writes concerning the righteousness that comes from the law, that the person who does these things will live by them. But the righteousness that comes from faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, on your lips, and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For one believes with the heart, and so is justified, and one confesses with the mouth, and so is saved. The scripture says, no one who believes in him will be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all and is generous to all who call on him. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But how are they to call on one in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in one whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone to proclaim him? And how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Um, so let's work backwards here a little bit. Just okay. Uh, so these last two verses, um, you can kind of see Paul laying out uh, the, the, you know, the audience's own questions. If, if the target audience were the Romans, mm -hmm. and he's been talking to them a while, uh, they would have questions about uh, how are, how am I supposed to, um, uh, how, how am I going to receive a call if I've never believed this? How am I 
you know, how am I going to be brought in the fold if I'm just now learning of this? How am I, you know, all these kind of questions. And it kind of seems like a brag at the end uh, <laughs> because he says, uh, how, 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 am I, how are they to proclaim him unless they are sent? Uh, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. I'm the one bringing good news to you, so my feet are so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> quoting, quoting Isaiah. Yeah. Right. And, and that's one of the things Paul repeatedly does through his, I mean, that's one of the ways almost of determining whether a letter is genuinely of Paul or not, is that he repeatedly would, will put forward his bona fides as mm -hmm. to you know, what authority does he have since... Um, he's outside of any religious structure. Um, right. And so, yeah, in a way he's bragging, but in another way he's also saying, look, this is really important stuff, and you really can believe me when I talk about it. Right. Well, and it, it, as I take one step back, it also would make sense that he's saying, like, good, good news is I'm here now. We can have this discussion now. I'm not prepping you for something to worry about uh, and think about for the future, and someone else is going to come and make this connection for you. We we're going to do this right now. Uh, where this is something that we can uh, we can start working on immediately. Yeah, uh, and it's not something that we should put off. So let's turn the page and move <laughs> and, and continue the discussion. Um, uh, but. Uh, so, what is, I, I, I noticed one thing that kind of stands out, and I haven't seen it very much in uh, the translations of Pauline letters. There's, a, there's three uses of parentheses in here. He regularly uses commas, right? Like he well, has but commas all over. And that's, I know, that's added, added right. Added, as uh, as the translation goes on, but he, you know, admittedly a rambler, uh, in my <laughs> own opinion. Um, but uh, it takes one to know one. And uh, but there's why the, the the parenthetical. It almost makes it feel as though it was added later uh, to put it in parentheses. But but any any idea why there's parenthetical phrases here? Um, I don't recall seeing very many of them before. Well, again, it's it's the editor's decision, mm -hmm. um, and you know he could have just as easily used he or she could have just as easily used any number of grammatical tools. Right. Um, so I think it, I think it really is just because it's such a long sentence <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um and i think it's also interesting to make the realization of if you take away those parenthetical phrases the modern reader has a completely different uh interpretation of what the question is um do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven who will descend into the abyss Right is like our first thought is we're so trained in this heaven and hell atmosphere that seems like what it is, and then you add the parenthetical phrases back in, and ascending into heaven is to bring Christ down from heaven, and descending into the abyss is to bring Christ back from the dead, not 
anything near what our you know what, what our what our first instinct would yeah. be. Yeah. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting just to 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 see how how different our mindset is. Well, and also some of that is I have to admit where this the the parentheses so to speak made sense to me I want to say in high school when in English class we looked deeply at Roman myths. Okay. And there was a lot of humans dropping down into Hades and coming yeah. back up. And okay. I don't know if there were so many going up to Mount Olympus and coming back down, but it was a common image of encountering the divine within Roman mythology of this movement between realms of existence. And so Paul, I think, is trying to relate to his audience and how they're used to having the gods, you know, with a fault, small g, interact with humanity. And mm -hmm. Paul is saying, no, you don't got to do that. You know, oh, you, okay, yeah. You, um, and, and almost always in the Roman myths, it turns out very badly for whatever human does that. So that's part of the good news that Paul is sharing is it's not that hard. That's a that's that's an interesting yeah I, I keep I keep forgetting who the audience is that yeah. makes a, a lot of sense um, because yeah and those those stories are fascinating the regular uh, um, hero uh, not sometimes not even the hero uh, the sometimes uh, the antagonist uh, mm -hmm. going down to hell uh, going up to heaven uh, there seems to be some sort of highway there for the gods. <laughs> yeah. They're able you know, to travel gods between coming the two. down and impregnating <laughs> women and producing um, various superheroes that way. Yeah. They're, right. There are all sorts of tales like that. And Paul is, again, trying to shift the mindset of his audience that that's mm. not how divinity works, that's not how humanity works. Really, God is with us right here and now in this right. place, in this realm. Hmm. Which would be really cool because uh, you know the the Romans grew up with all those stories as like uh, as children, right? Yeah. It's it's part of history. So to hear like no 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 uh, this is this is going on right now. It's not quite what you thought, but it's you know not yeah. quite what you were taught as children. But this literally just happened a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, and yeah, and that you know he's. Paul's quoting Isaiah and other um, scriptures, Joel and stuff, to in part show that this has been going on for thousands of years. Right. This isn't just, because he wants to make sure Jesus is not confused with one of these stories of a God coming down from heaven and goofing around and then going back. Right, 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 right. Definitely uh, wanting to make sure that it stands out as different. Yeah. Hmm. And that the way... The one true God interacts with humanity is very intimate and everyday and accessible to everyone. You don't have to be on a hero's quest in order to experience God. There you go. Uh, speaking of everyday, let's uh, let, let's kind of uh, ties in nicely with what the gospel reading is. Yeah. Uh, so let's move on to Matthew chapter fourteen, verse twenty-two through thirty-three. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. 
but by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. And early in the morning he came walking toward them on the sea, but when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened and began to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Um, I say uh, uh, every day, uh, not that any of this uh, takes place every day, but we often see ourselves, or, or in, either intentionally or, or otherwise, through the eyes of the disciples. They are mm-hmm. our everyman um, that... Uh, that, uh, that that we we can relate to, and yeah. they uh, while they make mistakes, uh, um, a lot of mistakes. They also um, they also are able to accomplish a lot of a lot of great things. And they're not, you know, these aren't the high priests of Israel uh, who become disciples. They're you know fishermen and and farmers and and um, relative nobodies to the. Uh, to 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 society as it as it were, um, and uh, what a what a um, fantastic and terrifying story if you're right, Peter. Um, I I love the fact that he that you know the disciples originally were like oh no a ghost um, which is kind of funny, um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, well to to give them a little bit of slack. A, you wouldn't expect to see anyone you know well who's a human being walking across a very wide lake right. um, in stormy seas. And B, it was sometime between 3 and 6 o'clock in the morning. The, um, tech, the, the witching the, hour. Oh, no. Uh. <laughs> well, yeah, actually, yeah, I, I, I hadn't thought of that, but that's right. That it's, it's the time when bizarre things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the, the old thing, it's darkest before the dawn. Mm-hmm. Um, and the the actual Greek is the fourth watch, um, as in the um, ancient timekeeping and, and seafaring structures. So, but that wouldn't make sense to us. So they just say early in the morning. So you know these guys have been up all night. They've been trying to get across the sea. They by this point have to be a little worried about their lives. There are many many boats that, that to this day sink on the Sea of Galilee because it's a challenging body of water. And they see someone, they see a human form walking across the water. It's almost more rational to think it's a ghost than to think it's the person that you hang out day after day with. Right, yeah. It's not, it's not as though this was something that was previously discussed and they could have anticipated. Right. You know. How's, how's Jesus going to get to the boat? Yeah, he'll walk. Right. <laughs> It's maybe fine. maybe jog if we go fast enough. Right, yeah. right, exactly. <laughs> um, and so the, uh, now this gospel oftentimes is is presented in such a way um, to uh, highlight uh, uh, the faith of Peter and the doubt of Peter at the same time. Yeah, 
Um, and um, it is it is uh, interesting. I'm trying to figure out what might have been going through Peter's mind when he essentially um, begs Jesus to extend to him a challenge. You know what I mean? He's like, uh, hey, if it is you, command me to come out on the water. Uh, and, and yeah. So it's like this, it's, it's this weird, um, stupid it, Peter thing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And like, uh, like, like dare me, dare yeah. me to come out there. Uh, but I also want to know for sure that it's really you. I'm not entirely sure, uh, why that would be the, uh, the response. Like you would be like, uh, if, Jesus, if it really is you, get in the boat so that we can talk about this. Right. Like, why is his first instinct like, uh, put me out on the water? <laughs> yeah, have me step out of the boat, and if it's not you, then I'll sink, and if it is you, I'll float. It's right. sort of like the old um, Catch-22 of witch trials or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he weighs as much. We, we literally watched this last night. And oh, the, he, he, my, he weighs as thought? much as it. Yeah, Monty Python. He weighs as much as a duck. Uh, yeah. So therefore, is a witch. Um, <laughs> it's a fair call. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, it, it just it, I'm racking my brain to figure out what his rationale at the time was because it's also it's not immediately clear to me that Peter uh, wanted to necessarily be glorified through such an act either. You know what yeah. I mean? Like. There's yeah. no, there's no reason for him to, 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 to want this, uh, like, uh, or at least not the way he, he's phrased in the gospels as, as, uh, coming to this challenge, because it's not like he's like, I want to walk on the water. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I want a, a superpower. <laughs> right. Exactly. I want to be able to fly. Come on. Yeah. Come on, Jesus, give me, you know, let me do it. Um, so it's, it's just a, it, it's, it, it this whole story, uh, um, as, as far as Peter's reaction goes, uh, initially, it doesn't make sense to me. When he gets out on the water and uh, becomes terrified, it makes total sense to me. Um, <laughs> because, again, that's the everyman, uh, the every person uh, that we can see ourselves in Peter. Uh, that, hey, look, if you do find yourself walking on water in the middle of a storm... Um, your focus is going to be taken off of Jesus, and you're 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 gonna you're gonna sink. <laughs> That's yeah. makes sense. Cause and effect it makes total sense. One of the interesting things here is the phrase, and and this is one I didn't you know as many years I've been studying scripture I didn't learn it until preparing for this broadcast um, that. After the people in the boat say it's a ghost um, and they cried out for fear, Jesus says, take heart, it is I, have no fear. Um, we've talked about before on the podcast how that's often one of the first messages for, from a divine messenger, angel or otherwise, of mm -hmm. do not be afraid. But also what I had not known is the it is I, well, this part I had known, is a uh, reference to the great... God's self-revelation of I am. I am who I am. Yeah. That, that which is when Moses says, God, who are you? What's your name? It, God says, I am. And that's the same phrase here. So oh, Interesting. Yeah, isn't it, though? But well, what I did not know 
is that there are lots of ancient sources that say Jewish practice in the time of Jesus and before and after was to have like a paddle, a small paddle in your boat that said, I am on it, referencing God. So if you were ever in a storm and needed to pray for God's deliverance, you'd slap the water with it. Huh. So here's Jesus taking a very common practice among sailors and, and enacting it, becoming hmm. it. You know, uh, I think you might have answered, you, you might have unlocked the key for me for, for Peter um, then, because if this is, if it's the same phrase as Moses, um, um, who, hey, shout out to Moses for getting a common thread in all these, uh, yeah. all three of these readings, um, then perhaps Peter's reaction makes sense. If, if he would have immediate, excuse me, immediately thought, of the story of Moses with that phrase. Moses was commanded in some sort of spectacular way. So this is Peter going, ooh, me first, me first. It could be, I, yeah. I want, please command me to do something cool. Yeah. I, I, I'm dying <laughs> to go release your people from captivity. I, you know, I- Let I, me I, part the Reed Sea. <laughs> right, yeah. I, I want it to be me. I want it to be me. Command me. Tell me to do something, uh, and then and which would then colors the 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 rest of the uh, the story differently. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay, Peter. You want to be first. You want to be commanded to do something uh, uh, great for, for 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 the Lord. Come on out. Come on out here. Let's see how you do with this. Let's see how. I want you to see how terrifying and scary it actually is. Yeah. And how your bravado here, you know, in verse 28 of uh, I, me first, I want it to be me. Let's humble you a little bit and make you realize that you cannot do this alone. Or it, or it also gave him the opportunity to succeed at it. That's true. And, and he didn't, as Peter sometimes does. Well, he um, did and didn't. Right. He did and he didn't. He started to and then got afraid of the storm and focused on the storm rather than on Christ and so started to sink. Right. Well, and it, it, does, it does create that narrative uh, that I think is very important, which is um, uh, we shouldn't think that we can do this on our own. At right. the end of the day, we always need... Um, you you cannot achieve this on your own. You cannot you cannot become you know um, holy and blameless. It's just not it's not something that you can do. You need uh, um, you need God. You need Christ. You need you need that uh, there um, because it's just not possible. It's right. just not possible to do it on your own. And this is a good reminder of of uh, of um, that possibility. And we, 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 I know for so many Christians, we hear that teaching and go, well, yeah, of course, and then try to bargain with it even subconsciously. Right. Um, so it's, yeah, okay, I can't do it on my own, but really I want to make sure I'm wearing the, uh, the proper clothes and saying the proper words and know the pop proper scripture passages. I'm close to doing it on my own. Mm -hmm. And here, we, I think this is one of these 
great teaching passages with Peter of, he starts to sink, and Jesus immediately saves him. Yeah. He doesn't wait for Peter to admit that he needs help or, um, you know, beyond the Lord save me. He's not like, you know, okay, my, my faith has been diminished. Please restore my faith so I can walk again. Um, mm-hmm. He doesn't try to tell God how to solve it. And consequently, Jesus immediately catches him. Yeah, you'll you'll notice that uh, the story does not show anybody else being so bold after you know nobody saw that and go oh uh, well he was so close yeah <laughs> I'll I'll do it I'll do it right this time I, you know me me next uh, instead the response is you have a little faith why did you doubt kind of drives that point home of like you know it's kind of tongue in cheek uh, or at least it stands out to me that phrase you have little faith why did you doubt. Uh, because Jesus knows that he can't do it. It, it, you know, the the phrase almost makes it sound like if you just had not doubted, you'd have been fine. But uh, I don't think that uh, I don't think that anyone else was going to accomplish uh, uh, walking on the water. Uh, I I don't think that that was in the cards. I don't what? think that's what Jesus was saying. Like all you had to do is, you know, you were so close. Just you know, keep your eyes on me and don't doubt, and you'd be fine. Um, well, and okay, I just got to say this so it doesn't show up in the Sunday sermon. <laughs> okay. Thinking, thinking of Monty Python, the Monty Python version of this would have been they get in the boat, they look around and say, hey, you know, where'd Judas go? Oh, he went over that side. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. got about three steps and he sank like a stone. We don't know where he went. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Or whoever it was, you know, that, but. That's that's totally facetious. Um, Where's Sir Galahad? Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the other thing that I think is interesting with this passage that's worth any of us spending time with is changing the tone of Jesus saying, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Because mm-hmm. I usually hear that as a scolding. Mm-hmm. But what if it's Jesus saying it very gently, as we would to a two-year-old who did something stupid? Yeah. You know, you'd come, you know, come on, little one, you know better than that, you know, as you're engulfing them in a hug. Yeah. Well, and especially if, if the context is, you have a little faith, why did you doubt, if, you, if that sentence were just a little bit longer, and he's actually saying... I was right here with you. Yeah, exactly. You know, I could have, you know, with me, these things are possible. Why, why did you, why did you doubt you were out here on the water with me? You were, you know, steps away. Um, you know, I'm still standing on the water in this miraculous way that amazed you. Right. 60 seconds ago. Had you, had you just had more faith, uh, you and I together could have done this. Yeah. Hmm. All sorts of possible uh, possibilities and 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 uh, different messages that uh, we can in turn, uh, depending on on our viewpoint on that. Yeah. that's kind of interesting. A, a, a well colored uh, uh, story, very vibrant uh, in in its possibilities there. So, yeah, we um, have three great readings today. Yeah, yeah, I rambled through all of them. Um, <laughs> so, 
So with that, uh, uh, unless you have more anything else uh, to, to throw before the end. No, we better wrap it up. Sounds good. Uh, with that, we will call to uh, the end of the session uh, for your, this year podcast, August 9th. 2020 proper 14 uh, as always feel free to reach out to us uh, via shortcut at hfec.org visit our website hfec.org um, uh, check out uh, all our uh, all our online worship materials on our youtube page um, um, which i'm totally blanking on the name <laughs> of all of a sudden wow uh hfec videos that took a second uh for some but you reason. got it now you came to me. Oh, you of little faith, in. why did you doubt? Because <laughs> I'm brain dead in the morning. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so uh, uh, lots of opportunities to connect. Uh, please reach out. Please uh, continue to utilize all the resources that we have available on all the different medium, especially uh, during this period of time where we have difficulty, you know, meeting and getting together. Yeah. So, um um, but with that, uh, I'm Ben. And I'm Bruce. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.